www.wjfh.org. Stay tuned to uh, WJFF. Coming up next at 7 o'clock is Talking Vets with Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Good evening once again. It's 7 o'clock in Jeffersonville and the surrounding area. It's WJFF, Catskill Radio, your community radio station. So let's talk vets. This program is produced by Vets for Vets, and I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg, reporting is ordered. Our mission, to provide news, entertainment, and information of particular interest to area veterans, active service members, and, of course, their families. You know, there are many issues we discuss. They're not exclusively, quote-unquote, veterans' issues. But they do, however, disproportionately affect our veterans. One such issue is the insidious disease of Alzheimer's. And uh, we'll be talking about that tonight with a panel of experts from the Alzheimer's Association in Middletown. And ever wondered what benefits or assistance are available to area vets? Wouldn't it be great if someone would gather a, a whole bunch of veterans' resources in one place? We'll seek no further and join State Senator Jen Metzger next Friday, this Friday rather, from noon to 2 p.m. at the Cook Taylor American Legion Post 111, located at 180 South Main Street in Ellenville, New York. This will be her fourth Veterans Resource Fair. 21 organizations will be there to chat with area vets along with federal, state, and local officials. And I'll be there as well. And we have the skinny directly from the senator a bit later in this program. But first, here are your dates of note in February. Well, February 3rd is Four Chaplains Day. This day is set aside to honor four U.S. Army chaplains who gave their lives to save others aboard the troop ship Dorchester and sank in World War II. February 12th is the 30th anniversary of this radio station, WJFF. Some said impossible, some said improbable, but 30 years later, here we are. And as our program director told me one time, we're the uh, best public radio station by a damn sight, literally. Um, February 18th is President's Day, and this was originally a day set aside to honor President George Washington and now honors all presidents as well. And February 19th is Coast Guard Reserve Birthday. Alzheimer's disease is the sixth leading cause of death in the U.S., 16 million Americans provide unpaid care for people with Alzheimer's and other dementias. These people currently provide 18.5 billion hours of care, estimated at a value of $234 billion. Between the years of 2000 and 2017, deaths from heart disease decreased by 9%, while deaths from Alzheimer's increased by 14.5%. One in three seniors die from Alzheimer's. That's more than breast and prostate cancer combined. Only 16% of our seniors receive cognitive assessments during routine physical exams. And in 2019, Alzheimer's cost the taxpayers $5.8 billion. It is estimated that by 2050, the cost may exceed $11 trillion. 5.8 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and by 2050, estimated that number will climb to 14 million. And every 65 seconds, a senior from the U.S. develops Alzheimer's. As usual, we wanted to drill down to the issues, so we went right to the experts at the Alzheimer's Association at the Middletown, New York office to find out firsthand about this insidious disease and how this organization is combating it. We are with a group of young ladies from the Alzheimer's Association, 
and today we're going to talk about the disease in general and we're going to talk about its particular challenges that vets have. So if you would go around the table, tell me your names and your positions. My name is Janet Syvertson and I'm the Senior Director of Community Engagement. Okay. My name is Donna Davies. I'm a care consultant and the Senior Director of Programs and Services. And my name is Sue Bunce. I'm Walk Manager for the Orange Sullivan and Rockland Walkstand Alzheimer's and a proud Sullivan County resident. The way we came about this, I attended ATI's Operation Wellness, which was held up at Forestburg Scout Reservation. And I had a chance to speak with Erin, the representative up there. And she was very nice and very knowledgeable. And she suggested I come down and talk to you folks, and here we are. So this disease is constantly in the news, so let's let's start. Somebody give me a broad definition of Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's disease is a progressive brain disease that leads to the deterioration of brain cells, and it starts off in the early stages of this disease with short-term memory loss and some other cognitive symptoms. But as the disease progresses over many years, it leads to um, additional physical symptoms and physical disabilities, and ultimately does lead to death. Um, it is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States, in fact. How does it actually lead to death? What happens initially is the part of the brain where the brain cells are deteriorating is called the hippocampus, and that's where the memory is stored. And so initially you see those symptoms like short-term memory loss. But as the disease progresses, more parts of the brain are being impacted and that's why other parts of the brain that that regulate the body's physical functioning are impacted and deteriorating over the years so ultimately someone becomes unable to walk unable to swallow unable to breathe and so it does lead to death if it proceeds through the entire length of the illness. And just to um, add to what uh, Donna said, um, every year the Alzheimer's Association comes up with facts and figures. So for 2019, they came up with every 65 seconds, someone in the United States developed the disease. And when they first started um, giving us this information, it was 72 seconds. And every year, that number goes down. Every three seconds, someone is diagnosed worldwide. Between uh, the year, year 2000 and 2017, uh, we've seen deaths from heart disease have decreased 9%, while deaths from Alzheimer's disease has increased 145%. One in three senior dies from Alzheimer's or another dementia. It kills more than breast cancer and prostate cancer combined. So those are some of the latest statistics. What age group is most susceptible? So um, really statistics are one in nine age 65 and older are thought to have the disease and then nearly one third of those age 85 and older are thought to have the disease. So clearly the older we get, the more at risk we are. Okay. Now we talked a little bit before we started about the unique challenges that our veterans face. Could somebody yes. expand on that for me? Sure. I think that, you know, we know that veterans, um, especially who have experienced post-traumatic stress disorder or um, traumatic brain injuries, are um, in both of those, both of those um, injury illnesses increase the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease later in life. And so veterans who are put in those positions to develop those those issues and, and have traumatic brain injuries are going to be more at risk later in life. So I think that that challenge is, is um, something that all veterans need to be aware of, that that could happen, and certainly need to have regular screening, especially once they are 65. When you say later in life, so is it the same type of bracket as we just talked about for the general population? Yes. It is, okay. Yep. Uh, typically prescribed uh, medications for these types of diseases, uh, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, or um, blast-induced neurotrauma. 
There is not any known correlation. Okay. Um, and in fact, the we don't know the cause of Alzheimer's disease at this point. Okay. There's a lot of research being done into the potential causes of that. Um, but we, what we do know is that someone who has Alzheimer's disease um, has something called plaques and tangles in the brain, which are protein deposits. And, you know, in a microscope, you can see those plaques and tangles in someone's brain tissue. Um, what we don't know is necessarily what causes them. There are many theories, and that is being researched. Um, we aren't aware of any correlation between medications. But it does really speak to the fact that when someone experiences those symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, it's so important that they go get a medical evaluation for that. Mm -hmm. Because side effects of medications, one of the things that can mimic the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. And we wouldn't want to think that someone has Alzheimer's disease when they actually have a health issue that could be reversed by looking at their condition and their medications. Right, so it could even be um, interactions between medications that may cause someone to have symptoms, you know, that are similar to Alzheimer's disease. Okay. Is there anything that we can do is end up to decrease our chances of developing Alzheimer's. Lifestyle habits is an area that is being thoroughly researched and so um, they have identified four key areas in lifestyle habits that we can control and um, reduce our risk for developing dementia. That would be a heart healthy diet. You want to first of all check with your physician before you make any changes but the association likes the Mediterranean diet, dark green leafy vegetables, more whole natural foods rather than high fat sugar processed foods. Um, the other is uh, exercise. There is so much evidence that is showing the importance of moving every day. The other area is cognitive stimulation, learning new skills, um, keep maybe playing board games, reading, um, they even say watching certain television shows. There is processing that takes place and then social engagement. And um, that would be visiting friends, maybe joining a club, getting out and socializing, and that keeps your skills up. So it's when you put all of those four areas together that um, researchers uh, really have identified that it's, it, it's great for your brain. We want to encourage everybody. We do a program called Healthy Living for Your Brain and Body, tips on latest research. And so we are out in the community talking about, um, you know, the lifestyle habits. And it's great because it's not medication. It's something that we can each control, you know, and do. Right. And they say it's never too late. Okay. Let's uh, shift a little bit. We're going to talk more. We're going to kind of drill down, as it were, into the Alzheimer's Association. Why is Alzheimer's Association unique, or why do you feel it's unique to other associations that may be dealing with the same issue? Well, I feel personally that we provide information and support individuals who are caring for their loved one or someone who has the illness. Um, we also promote brain health. The Alzheimer's Association is a leading voluntary health organization in Alzheimer's care support and research, and it's our mission to eliminate Alzheimer's disease through the advancement of research and to provide an enhanced care and support for all affected and to reduce the risk of, through the promotion of brain health. Our vision is to have a world without Alzheimer's disease. The Alzheimer's Association, being the largest nonprofit funder of research, um, has contributed $30 million to um, 131 scientific investigations. Okay. So as we start to run down some of your programs, you've been awful quiet. 
<laughs> so let's, let's take a walk. Our walks, um, our walks are our signature event for the Alzheimer's Association here in our area. Also, in partnership with our programming department, um, getting the word out to businesses where we know caregiving affects um, employees as far as showing up at work, being able to stay or having to retire. Um, so it also gives caregivers and those affected by the disease another outlet of what can we do to help in this in the face of this disease where there is no cure now. So a lot of folks help us with awareness and to promoting the walk as well as well as um, fundraising. So there's a lot of activity around the walk. Absolutely. That also plays into it. And there's only one walk per year? That's one it? walk per year, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I see you have a helpline, twenty four by seven. If I call eight hundred two seven two thirty nine hundred you will what am speak I gonna hear? with a live person okay. um, anytime, so day or night. the phone rings at your house? Or? <laughs> <laughs> it actually uh, rings it after hours. Uh, it rings um, in our office in Chicago. Okay. Uh, but uh, if a caregiver... So that's like a call center? Yes. Right. Okay. Um, if at 2 o'clock in the morning I'm a caregiver and I'm having a, an issue, I can call. And so many of our families have, and they say it's been a lifeline for them. So they, they can actually actually connect you or they're trained, I guess, when they're, they answer the trained. phone. They're trained. There are care consultants to, that work, okay. yes, that provide support. We get a report of who called, and we can then follow up with that person. That's good. So their, their need was met on the spot by a bank of, of people who are there to serve them 24-7, mm-hmm. but then we can locally follow up with them and then meet with them in person. Okay. We can talk with them about other resources that me, we may be aware of in Sullivan County that the call center did, is not aware of. So. so it looks like care consultants and uh, licensed social workers Looks like you guys work with the families to continually monitor, but also to lay out the, uh, a map for them yes. to help them do what they got to do. That's a great description. Yeah. That's exactly what we do. Okay. Um, we want to first meet the need that they're calling about, and then from there we can suggest knowing the progression of the disease, knowing some of the resources that might be useful to them. We can then start to work with them over time to make suggestions about getting some additional caregiving support or um, looking at Medicaid and how to access that or accessing the VA benefits and, and you know registering in the Hudson Valley VA access to home care and adult daycare. So when that happens, when you do that, do you actually make the call to the VA for them or do you make the call while they're on the line or we don't act as a case manager in that way so typically we're simply giving resource information and following up to make sure that they're able to do that Mm -hmm. if if we find that people are not able to do that um, we connect them with other local agencies that can provide case management services to do that so for instance um, it depends on the person and what their financial situation is and what their um, abilities are but there are a, a host of other community agencies, the or the Sullivan County Office for the Aging, um, Action Toward Independence. There are healthcare systems that have case managers on site now at Crystal Run Healthcare and Rock Hill and with the hospital. So there's a and there's uh, veterans outreach programs. The VA has a traveling, I'll call it a bus, a unit that travels around the state and talks to veterans about these types of issues and others. And you have every county in New York has a Veterans Service Office, VSO as well. And they typically cut through the bureaucratic sea of the VA to help veterans. To get out, they're able to connect. Otherwise, we do have in-person support groups. Somebody could just call our 800 number and find the location and the time. Do you have events where you gather groups of caregivers? We do have uh, we do have some events. I'm thinking specifically of our wellness retreat, one usually every June um, at Frost Valley in Claryville, and that is truly a caregivers to get a break. They can bring their loved one with any kind of dementia with them if they choose to. We do have aids available, and it is a day. And I think we've been doing it for five five years or seven years, and I. I think my favorite memory is seeing a caregiver on a lawn chair taking a nap. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have um, a heart player. We have massage therapy. We have Parts a and crafts. wonderful uh, connection with the Tri-Valley High School students who come and do a floral arrangement workshop. We have the 4-H Club from uh, Cornell Cooperative Extension. Okay. Those, those mm -hmm. um, kids come and help out. And it is just, uh, we have bunny pet therapy. <laughs> we, it's truly a day uh, to celebrate the caregivers, to give them a break, to let them recharge get connected to other caregivers. We have a wonderful lunch and it's all free. We mm -hmm. even have um, the uh, Rolling V bus uh, mm -hmm. donates a bus. It's very generous of them and they we have stops in Wartsboro and in Monticello and Liberty that pick up people pick up on the way, okay. yes. Hmm. What's a memory cafe? A memory cafe is a social get-together for people who have early-stage Alzheimer's okay. and their family member or friend caregiver. And it's a safe place to get together with others who understand what you are going through when you have early-stage Alzheimer's. Um, and it's meant to be fun. So there's really no discussion of Alzheimer's. It's not a support group. It's simply a social get-together that is fun. So it's a, it's a physical location. It's yeah. not a virtual exercise. Right. We move them around okay. to different locations So where is a typical place that you would hold a memory cafe? We've had a lot in Middletown because we've been able to serve the people um, this this office is okay. serves Sullivan and Orange County, okay. and we so try to do a centralish location at a restaurant, but at other places too. We've also had them at Museum Seniors, Village in Monroe. Clubs and um, no, you've done it at the Purple Heart. Right, we have. Oh, had, you did. Yeah, we've had them at the Purple Heart Museum. We've That's had them on a boat on the Hudson River. We've done everything. Oh, nice. We nice. move around <laughs> because so. people, you know, with the disease tend to isolate and and feel like they're they're on right. their own. And this encourages them. It's a safe environment uh, for people to connect, and it's so important to make those connections. And typically, the care consultants are there, so it's just um, such a benefit. Okay. I noticed going through these different things, there's a number of places where music is mentioned. Yes. And I see music socials. So is there something particular about music that benefits folks who may be uh, having difficulties with Alzheimer's? Yes, and we have seen it firsthand. We have connected with Melinda Bogard, who uh, is a licensed music therapist, and um, we ran a group in Orange County for over 10 years, uh, and we are fortunate enough to have Melinda run this group in Sullivan, and um, it is amazing. You've ha we've seen people who have been nonverbal for years, who will go in and Melinda connects with them. I mean, we all have our memories. A song comes on the radio right. and we remember, oh, I was in high school or what was I doing when that song came out? And so she connects with people. Um, if people are nonverbal, it's, uh, she does physical mute movement. We've seen people go into these groups really angry and not happy to be there and Two minutes into the program, they are smiling, they are singing along, and it's truly amazing. And I think it's one of the last parts of the brain that that loses function, the music. And people what? with Alzheimer's have their their language skills and their communication skills become more and more impaired over time. And so music... they don't use them. Yes, and they and that part of the brain is is affected. So they so music though, like Sue said, is it's a way to reach somebody and to really touch on their emotions and and build relationship yes. and yes. keep a relationship alive with someone, even when you may not be able to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. That music comes right back. So I see there's quite a lot here that you do with educational programs. Mm -hmm. right. We are in the community. Providing we will come to any group, <laughs> any time, um, uh, to provide information. So we have many, many programs, uh, starting with Know the Ten Signs, Early Detection Matters, all through uh, 
you know, dealing with difficult behaviors, effective communication, living with series, so that's for living with early or mid-stage for or in late stage for the caregivers. Um, so all our education programs are free. Sometimes we'll tailor them to fit the needs of the audience, but um, it's a great way for people to learn about the illness. Okay. How about trial match? So trial match um, is, is the Alzheimer's Association's solution to helping people become aware of clinical trials that they might be able to participate in. So what happens is someone can register online or by calling the 800 number and they can give information about themselves, if they have Alzheimer's disease, what their other health symptoms are, what medications there are, etc. And then the Alzheimer's Association maintains a database of all clinical trials that a person with Alzheimer's disease or in the study of Alzheimer's disease could participate in and they match you. They'll mail you a packet of all of the matches within the geographic area that you choose and you can then um, work with those different clinical trials to see whether you would like to be involved. And I want to say also that we are all registered in, in trial match and none of us here have Alzheimer's disease. And that is because healthy individuals can also become part of, of clinical trials to study why do some people develop Alzheimer's disease and others do not. Right. It's a great point. You don't have to have the illness. So I have Alzheimer's on both sides of my family. So, you know, it's just a, a way for me to, um, you know, to kind of do something. So being part of trial match. And then um, you can get sent, as Donna said, some of the studies and some of them maybe maybe you just go in for blood work. Maybe it's just lifestyle habit. Um, some may include some kind of brain imaging, um, spinal tap there, you know, so it's depending on your level of comfort right. with what you choose to do or not do. And when we talk about retreats and, and, and things like that, I see this time away grant. Right. So <clears throat> we were given, our Hudson Valley chapter was given a $7 million grant um, by the Department of Health to expand our services for caregivers because the impact on caregivers that this disease has is so different um, from any other illness. So um, part of that um, grant enabled us to provide the wellness retreats, the memory cafes, you know, where we've been able to do so much because of this grant. Mm -hmm. So um, a $1,000 respite grant that can be used uh, for home care, daycare, or overnight respite. Um, and the only stipulation is the person cannot be on Medicaid. But the, what, what, what happens, which is so great, is this connects people to our care consultants. So they would call our number, they would say they're interested in a time away grant, and they would get connected. So even if somebody called after hours, Donna or one of the other care consultants would get the message to contact this person and she would meet with them. And so um, that starts us helping families and providing support. Uh, and then we work it out that they could use this, um, this grant if it's needed. And it's a great way for families to start to use a service. So if I'm caring for my mom and I'm hesitant about daycare, I don't know if my mom's going to like daycare. Once I meet with Donna, I have this time away grant, I'm able to try it. So maybe I'm going to have my mom go one or two days a week to see how, how she does. And so it's really a door opener for many of our families. Okay. What is the Pointer Study? The Pointer Study is a new um, large-scale clinical trial um, that is developing um, evidence about lifestyle and how we may be able at some point to um, certainly decrease risk of developing Alzheimer's, but we're looking at prevention. So this is an exciting study because there have been many smaller scale studies done, but the Pointer study, which is specifically an Alzheimer's Association funded study, is um, dedicating a, a, a $20 million to fund this trial to um, develop 
evidence of lifestyle interventions that can prevent cognitive decline and dementia. So uh, people can access that um, pointer study through the trial match on our website or by okay. calling our 800 number and learn more about the pointer study and how they can get involved. Okay. Question comes to mind. Do you reach across and collaborate or meet with similar organizations in other countries, or are there... We These do. things in other countries. Yes. Some, many countries have a similar type of organization. And even though we are a, a, an organization within the United States that serves the United States, um, we do sometimes get calls from people who are going, um, traveling or going to their home country and wanting information about a similar organization. So we will find that information out for them and help them get connected. But also, we connect with other um, organizations like us and researchers across the world, and we convene the Alzheimer's Association International Conference uh, every summer. This this past summer, it was in Los Angeles, but it's, it's anywhere in the world. It moves around every year, right. and it's... The Research Roundtable is a consortium of scientists that um, that convene to discuss the latest development in working towards, eventually, a cure and better treatments for Alzheimer's disease. Right, so, and I think this year they had over 6,000 researchers from around the world. Um, and just so um, people can find information, we actually have a uh, phone app which is mm -hmm. Al's Science Hub. So if you uh, download that app, you will get the latest in information on research available from the Alzheimer's Association. What a great segue. You read my mind because <laughs> we're, we're getting to the end here, and that was going to be my, one of my last questions, which you answered about the app. There's other ways right. to contact and the Alzheimer's Association. What are they? Well, certainly that app is a great a great kickoff. Our website, um, which is alz.org, is an amazing um, resource to us, to those we serve. Um, we get a tr we get a huge number of hits on our website, right. and people often find us that way because it's such a, a technologically advanced world we live in today. And so people are finding us often through that website, sending emails to us through the website, asking for information, and and we will connect with them that way as well as calling our eight hundred number. And people can always reach us at eight hundred two. 72-3900, which is how to initially engage with us. And I think I would just like to add that, um, you know, we've been here for many years with the association and the stigma of the illness. I, you know, remember the days when, when we were here 17 years ago when people avoided us and now people want to talk. They want to learn. They want to know. So they are looking at our website. They are, you know, when I'm at a community event, they are at my table asking questions and really good questions, you know, what are the signs? It's in my family. Am I going to get it? So um, I think the, you know, the illness has come a long way. I always remember one of the volunteers saying, you know, we have never blamed somebody for having cancer, yet we have historically blamed people for having a disease of the brain. And that always struck me, and I always remember and think of that. Yes. It's like the, the the stigma that goes with addiction, right? Yes. It's the mm -hmm. same type of situation. Right, yes. Well, Sue Bunch. Well, I'd like to add that also at alz.org slash walk, you will find information about the nearest walk to your area. Please feel free to check it out and uh, register, and we hope to see you that day. It's such a fun day, and... Um, there are tables of information at the walk about every aspect of the programs and services that we offer. So even when people are coming to walk, they can pick up literature about our programs, all the programs that you just outlined, as well as um, things like becoming an advocate for Alzheimer's and how to work with us with their local, state, and national legislators to because we inform policy decisions in the United States around Alzheimer's policy to make sure that the people whose voice 
is not necessarily heard can be heard and make a difference. So you do have a lobby in D.C., right? We do. And all of, and the walk is even, you know, it's a, it's an amazing walk. It's a lot of fun, but it also has a wealth of information right there on that day. People can access all of the staff and, and see what's happening in the world of Alzheimer's at that well, walk. Well, part of um, dealing with any situation is knowing what's out there. And I want to thank you ladies again, Sue Bunce and Janet Siebertson? Sybertson. Sybertson, yep. sorry. I blew it. <laughs> Donna Davies, I got that one. Right. Okay. <laughs> Mine is easy. Yeah, one out of, two out of three ain't bad. Um, so for I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. And for our veterans, I think this is very useful because I think that uh, too often these guys, first of all, are reluctant to ask for any help. Yes. Sometimes they, they think the VA is the only game in town, and it's not. Right. And so, uh, although their health care uh, has come a long way, and I, they have uh, a tremendous amount of facilities and what have you, and I know they're working hard to, to change things because they've had some bad press. Some of it is well-deserved. but Yes. But anyway, <laughs> thanks again, and uh, you ladies have been great. Great panel, <laughs> and you made my job easy. So thank you. Thank you. you made it easy for all, us. All have a great day. <laughs> you too. You too. And this is WJFF Jeffersonville, and you're listening to Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Sandberg. We got just a few uh, items of interest for you, kind of important stuff. A veteran's census is being held, and um, it is being sponsored by the Joseph P. Dwyer Vet to Vet organization. And um, you can contact them uh, on social media at SCTC Vet Census, hashtag She's Counted, They're Counted. Online, you can go to www.surveymonkey.com slash r slash fw slash 758b6 or you can contact Larry Newman vet to vet program coordinator at 845-342-2400 extension 1237. The Chester Public Library is hosting two educational webinars with the goal of providing accessible learning opportunities for women veterans. These webinars focus on enhancing digital literacy skills and offer financial education, and they're free. Sharon Bailey is a major in the United States Air Force, and she'll present both sessions. Sharon has worked as a military social worker, educator, academic counselor, military life family counselor, and a clinician for the Department of Defense and the Veterans Affairs. She's currently a Veterans Outreach Administrator for the PFC Joseph P. Dwyer Vet 2 Vet Program at Bridges in Rockland County. Webinar 1, Financial Literacy, Making the Most of Your Military Resources, March 24, 2020. The time is 11 a.m. to 12 noon. Webinar ID number is 526-298-319. Webinar 2, Digital Literacy Skills, How to Market Your military skills into a career. Uh, that'll be March 25th, 2020. Again, 11 a.m. to 12 noon, webinar ID 496-475-345. You can visit Chester, New York, or ChesterNYPublicLibrary.com slash calendar for more information on these programs. And they'll tell you how to register and join the programs on those dates. Uh, Trauma and Resiliency Resources Incorporated, TRR, hosted its first Suicide Prevention Summit in Warwick, New York, in January the 24th through the 26th. Um, Gathered at the summit were veteran service organizations and providers from seven states, including New York. The summit was the first in a series of five train-the-trainer workshops that TRR will host in 2020, partially funded by its VA Adaptive Sports Grant. 
The purpose of the summit was to demonstrate how TRR is able to prevent suicide among active military veterans from all eras who attend its award-winning Warrior Camp program. TRR went in operational with its Warrior Camp in 2013 and has a 100% post-program survival rate amongst its participants, having lost no one to suicide. TRR's clinical data was published in the Journal of Military Medicine in 2018. The summit attendees comprised military chaplains, licensed therapists, social service providers, and military veterans, had a hands-on experience in how TRR builds community during its week-long warrior camp programs, utilizing the leadership demonstrated by a herd of horses. TRR's equine psychotherapy approach is unique in that it works with a herd of horses at liberty and uh, sees this as the best model for addressing the moral injuries that are a consequence of combat operations during which Warriors often have to override their deeply held ethical beliefs in order to carry out their mission or simply survive. TRR believes that this dissonance between ethics and actions can lead to suicide. TRR's focus on moral injury rather than PTSD is the basis for its success. You can get more information at trrhelp.org or support at trrhelp.org or by calling 855-877-4968. As we've often said, there are hundreds of resources available to area vets in our listening area and beyond. Too often our fellow vets are too proud to seek help or perhaps just have been turned away in the past or, or just don't know. Well, I can't tell you what to do, but things change and what was unavailable even a few months ago may now be attainable. Won't cost you a dime to join me at the 4th Veterans Resource Fair at Cook Taylor American Legion Post 111, held at 180 South Main Street in Ellenville, New York, from noon to 2 p.m. on Friday. State Senator Jen Metzger has gathered 21 organizations in one place, including federal, state, and local officials. We spoke to the senator this week. Let's talk vets, Senator Metzger. I'm glad you could join us. Thank you. On uh, February 14th, you're hosting, I believe, your fourth Veterans Resource Fair event series at the Cook-Taylor American Legion Post 111 at 180 South Main Street in Ellenville, New York, from noon to 2 p.m. These events are intended to connect veterans, active duty service members, and their families with information and resources tailored to their needs. So the first question I want to ask you is, what made you decide to organize these events? First of all, for some background, I grew up with some awareness of veterans' issues. My dad was a veteran. My grandfather was a career military colonel. And, uh, you know, I'm a fairly new state senator. I've just finished my first year. But we have about 20,000 veterans across my district. You know, we have a lot of really good existing programs to provide resources, but it's making sure that our veterans are connected with those resources. That's really the point of this. Uh, I wanted to do what I could to get veterans and the organizations and agencies that are serving them in the same room. It's a very large district that I represent. It covers 2,400 square miles, all of Sullivan County, the whole western half of Orange County, part of Ulster, and Delaware County. So it's a big area, and and I've really tried to bring this resource to veterans in places that they're comfortable to come and meet. Where were your previous events uh, held? Uh, The first one we had was in November in Warwick at post uh, 214. In December, uh, we held one resources fair at the Sullivan County Government Building, and a second one in Middletown at the uh, Honor Homeless Shelter, because we were made aware that there, you know, were veterans there, uh, and we really thought, um, in particular, they it would be very valuable to bring this to them there. 
And now this fourth one, as you mentioned, will be in the village of Ellenville. So in your opinion, what is the most urgent issue facing New York State veterans? You know, over and over again, we hear about veterans struggling with mental health issues, um, which make it hard for them to reintegrate into civilian life. And also, in tragic cases, they take their own lives. And, you know, we have a higher incidence of suicides among our veteran population than our non-veteran population. Uh, There are great organizations out there that can help uh, with everything uh, from getting uh, the benefits they're owed to finding housing to finding jobs, but many haven't felt comfortable reaching out and asking. One of the biggest challenges is destigmatizing mental health and then making those connections uh, easier for veterans. I think this is, those are really big challenges. So are you planning to have more of these resource fairs? Yes. Uh, when you hold them sort of consistently, the word gets out and more and more people come to them. So I plan on at least four or more a year. Okay, I pulled down a list of the organizations that are going to be at the one next Friday in Ellenville. There may be some more that have been added. Would you be kind enough to run down that list and uh, just what services or what uh, advantages each brings to the table for the vets that day? Well, um, first of all, I wanted to mention that the New York Warrior Promise Wall will be there, and we've had that at every one of our events and tell stories about veterans who have lost their lives to suicide. I think that that is really important to both honor these veterans and their service and also, you know, remind people that there's help. Also, the the Blue Water Navy Vietnam Veterans Association will be there. They advocate for veterans who have suffered uh, illness or death. Uh, due to exposure to toxic chemicals while serving, such as um, Agent Orange. West Cop Supportive Services for Veterans' Families will be there. They help veteran households uh, that are currently homeless or at risk of losing their housing. They provide uh, temporary financial assistance and many other services to help create housing stability. The Ulster County Veterans Service Agency will be there and uh, the Office of Ulster County Executive Pat Ryan, who, who is a veteran, is the sponsor of the event, and he'll be stopping by as well. Now, the Office of Congressman Antonio Delgado will also be there. And, of course, that's important. It's important to connect with your federal representative. Uh, the VA is uh, a federal agency, and if people have VA-related concerns, it's particularly helpful, I think, to talk with our federal representative. The Middletown Vet Center will be there. Legal Services of the Hudson Valley will be there. I was thrilled to be able to successfully fight to get them $200,000 in in last state budget specifically for legal services to veterans and, and their families. One of the reasons veterans often need legal assistance is is in housing issues. So this is a very valuable resource. The New York Comptroller's Office of Unclaimed Funds is there, um, and that's always a fun one to stop by to see if you are on their list of people for whom they have unclaimed funds for and will get a check cut for you if you are. So that's a good one to stop by at. Uh, the Samaritan Village will, will be there. They've been around for 30 years plus, providing specific treatment for veterans struggling with chemical dependency, PTSD, uh, and other challenges. And they have three residential treatment facilities, and one of them is in Ellenville, where our event will be. The facility includes uh, the state's only veterans treatment program specifically for women. Soldier On is an Ulster County program. It's it's Ulster County's only emergency housing facility for veterans. Ellenville Regional Hospital will be there with um, to help with um, some you know very quick and easy health evaluations and provide information. Another organization that I think is just is 
really uh, wonderful is Helmets to Hard Hats. This is an apprenticeship program uh, for veterans of the Carpenters Union Local 279. The U.S. Census Bureau will be tabling. It's census time. We need to know who our veterans are so we can get the funding for the programs that we need. It's important that everyone be counted. Gates Therapeutic Writing Center, which uh, provides huge therapeutic advantages to people, and and they have a program specifically for, for veterans. Action Toward Independence is another organization that will be present, and they do uh, veteran-specific casework. They also have a veterans canine program to help vets with PTSD that's free. The Ultra County Office of the Aging will be there. And Sage Vets, which is uh, the state's only program specifically for elder LGBT veterans. I think I think I've gone through the whole list. <laughs> and it covers really a wide range of services and addresses a wide range of issues. And there, there's going to be a lot there for for vets. For Sounds like it'll be a very robust event, and I'm looking forward to um, visiting that myself. Obviously, when you do these types of things, you want to kind of measure it, and I'm not really sure how you do that. I think every area has to have its own unique issues, right? When you're planning an event, do you evaluate what they are so that you can get the mix of these participating agencies optimized? Well, and and the second part of that question was, have you developed any quantifiable metrics to help you evaluate the effectiveness of these events? To answer your first question, um, you know, we were really trying to get a good geographic distribution, but we are constantly trying to get um, information from the various partner organizations about the best locations because what really the goal is to maximize attendance by veterans. That's the goal. And sometimes they have real transportation barriers. So we want to go to where the, the greatest needs are. You know, at our first event in Warwick, it was, uh, it was actually suggested to me by another organization that was uh, tabling there that we have the event at Honor, at the, at the homeless shelter, because of the uh, number of vets there and the fact that they don't have transportation. So a lot of this is just kind of ear to the ground figuring out the best locations and while trying to keep in mind the entire geographic territory that my district serves. We haven't yet gotten up to Delaware County. We'll want to do that. In terms of metrics, it's it's hard. I mean, I guess looking at, at the number of veterans that have attended our resource fairs is a, is a way, you know, to measure their success. We've had about 100 to, to date attend the, the first three events that we've organized. You know, as I said earlier in the program, it's really getting these, these resource fairs and people's kind of in their routine, their annual routine, and getting them established and getting the word out more and more. And that's what's going to build attendance over, over the years. So, I expect, for instance, that next year we'll, we'll have even more veterans in attendance as, as the word gets out. But from my perspective, if I can help just one veteran connect with the services they've needed, it's, it's totally worthwhile for me. That's really the ultimate goal. It's any, anyone we can, we can assist. You know, there was a gentleman who came to our Middletown event at, at Honor that needed dental work for quite some time just because he didn't have the money. And we were able through my office to connect him, and now he's going to get the, the treatment that he needs. So that's really gratifying to be able to make something like that happen. The first time I attended the Hudson Valley Veterans Task Force meeting was the last meeting and I was really impressed, and, and I intend to be at those meetings now. How has your office's participation in that body benefited you to understand our vets and the challenges they face better? And how do you feel that your participation in the task force is benefiting them? 
First of all, the task force is just fantastic. It's a fan, it's it's so great that they're um, getting together and really coordinating and covering all of the bases for our office. My constituency services staff, specifically um, Amy Meislick, uh, attends these meetings regularly, and it greatly aided our office's ability to refer veterans to uh, the appropriate programs and organizations that you know that they may need. So it's it's greatly expanded our constituent services staff knowledge base about the programs out there and also, you know, issues that are coming up. It it keeps everyone very closely attuned to veterans, current and emerging veterans issues uh, in our in our area. And I think our presence also helps the task force. First of all, you know, if there are needs that we can serve through legislation, or through the budget, or if there is a problem, um, say a regulatory problem that we can fix through state legislation, you know, I feel like this is this is where we're going to find out about it, is on that task force. So I think it, it, it serves the task force uh, in that way. It serves veterans in that way. Uh, we feel, you know, we're a, a connection to sort of the day-to-day of, of what these organizations are doing and the challenges they confront. So I'd, I'd say that's probably one of the one of the biggest um, benefits. Okay, this has been fascinating. And in the couple of minutes that we have left, I'd like to have you give us any closing thoughts and how do our veterans and families contact your office and who do they contact in your office for assistance? First of all, my closing thoughts uh, are that you know, it has been just a really rewarding experience to be working with all of all of these great uh, veterans organizations in our area. And I think that we, you know, we're very blessed in having truly wonderful programs like the uh, the Vet to Vet program in Orange County. I mean, there's the Veterans Coalition in Sullivan County. There are just so many great organizations out there, and and it's been just an honor and a pleasure to be able to work with uh, veterans and try to address try to address some of the issues uh, and challenges we face in New York. I wanted to just you know close by mentioning a bill that I've introduced that I feel very certain we're going to get passed in this legislative session that designates September. 22nd is Veterans Suicide Awareness Prevention Day, and we really need to kind of elevate uh, this issue, address the stigma, work together to really reduce the incidence of of these kinds of tragedies. It can be done, but we, we really have to work together. So we have two offices. We have an office in, in Middletown. Uh, at 90 North Street. It's actually, we just moved. It's a new office, Suite 205. And the phone number at the Middletown office is area code 845-344-3311. We also have an office in Liberty. It's at 59 North Main Street. And our phone number in, in our Liberty office is area code 845-292-0215. And you can also always reach me by email. My email address is metzger at nysenate.gov. I really encourage our veterans to contact my office. Always consider us a resource. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time. It's been fascinating, and I look forward to seeing you at the event in Ellenville next Friday. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on the show. Well, thank you, New York State Senator Jen Metzger on Let's Talk Vets. And as they say, that's a wrap. (laughs) 
Stay tuned for recorded segment of Bradman Neonatal. Thanks for joining us on Let's Talk Vets. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and um, suggestions for future shows. Also, send us your upcoming events so we may get them on the air, both in our normal public service announcement segments and this program. You can email me at vets at wjffradio.org. Or you can call and leave a message at 845-431-6500. Until next time, this is your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. And from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, River.